Well, one issue that can't be mistaken for a grey rhino or black swan is the future of remote, flexible first work, or what our next guest, Julia Hobsbawm, calls the Nowhere Office in her new book of that title. Julia, if we're living through this moment of great re-evaluation, is it also the end of ambition as we know it? Is it the age of anti-ambition? The reason why I wrote about what I call the nowhere office, it's not about saying there is no office. It's not about saying there should be no office, but it's about observing that an awful lot of things changed at the same time, triggered by, but not entirely caused by the pandemic. And one of those is just a, a sense that we are ambitious for our lives to work. Now, ambition was seen as something that was already being questioned, if you think about it. The whole question about well-being came into the frame at most 10 years before the pandemic, which is not very long at all in the history of work. So we were beginning to sort of go, mm, hang on a minute, things are not fantastic. But the relentless always-on era pre-pandemic was there. So nobody really had much choice. But the pandemic did allow that reflection. It created a hard stop. Everybody found space to rethink. And that means I don't think any of us really think about ambition in quite the same way. What is ambition anyway? What's it for? In your book, The Nowhere Office, Reinventing Work and the Workplace of the Future, you use this analogy around a snow globe. Can you explain it? Can you describe it to us? A snow globe is an object that gives us two things at once. It gives us a fixed, trapped moment in time. And then it gives us with the snow, the fluttering flash of change. And so humans want certainty and distraction. They want fixed things and disruption. And so the snow globe conjures up any moment of transition where we're shaking up the old, seeing if we can get to the new. But also, if that snow globe was the place of work, it wouldn't really be an office. It wouldn't necessarily be a desk or even a smartphone. The switch is from place to person. You and your listeners, each individual, is now in the centre, if you like, of their own snow globe. Is that the contradiction we're still kind of grappling with right now? It's become very complex because there was a simplicity, relatively speaking, about the time pre-pandemic. And in fact, my last book was called The Simplicity Principle, and it was all about how we crave simplicity. The reality is that it was sort of simple, if unsatisfactory, to have the commute, to have the fixed hours, to have to go to an office, which we are nostalgic about, but quite a lot of the office involves not just the schlepping of the commute, but quite a lot of toxic politics, quite a lot of pointless meetings. Ever since the um, pandemic, we've really understood that there's there's quite an equalising uh, democratic side to digital connection. You know, you all look the same size and shape on Zoom. Some people have to go back to the office. Some people don't have to go back to the office. Some people in the same organisation are split You've got to be in five days a week, but you don't have to be. That's causing what I call the hybrid haves and the hybrid have nots. But I'm a really optimistic person because the world of work, I believe, has needed to change. People working have wanted to change. There's a new emotional 
literacy in what I call the nowhere office, that we get that things don't have to be the same as they were before, that we are all intelligent enough to figure it out. And that if we work for good bosses or if we are employers and we are good bosses, do you know what? It's incumbent on us to get it right because epidemic levels of stress and anxiety and low productivity were features of the working world before the pandemic. So we want to do it better, don't we, as we come out of it. Do you think there is still some companies, some businesses that haven't learned? And because they don't understand it, they are going to have the resignation, the retention issues. I mean, I see it all the time. You know, I'm lucky that I'm being invited to speak all over the world and advise You know, they're all saying the same thing, which is we know that the genie can't go back in the bottle, really. We know that full-time presenteeism is kind of over, but there are occasions and times and needs for people to gather together. And we don't know how to communicate that. We don't know how to structure that. The truth Mm -hmm. is all the old power systems that said, you know, we give you the job and we tell you how the job's going to work. That's changed. The pandemic is a moment to reset and rethink and relearn and say, how can we do work better? And I'm really passionate about that. Do you think, you know, for women who so often take on the so-called double shift, you know, of full professional lives and yet childcare and looking after elderly people, do you think maybe it doesn't benefit Generation Z, you know, new graduates, new entrants into the workplace who normally learn on the job, they learn by doing and seeing? So, yeah, who benefits and maybe who doesn't? It's not a clean line. Technology is both a vital glue, but it also has made our modern lives much more complex. And so it's really inseparable now from our personal lives. If you think about it, you make a dental appointment or a hospital appointment or you phone your mom, or it's all on the same sort of devices. And so the reality is that all age groups want to have the community and the social aspects of going to a place some of the time, let's call that place an office, but it could be a corporate retreat. You know, hotels could benefit from this moment of the nowhere office. We really have a lot of choice now. Let's co-design how we work. Now, I can imagine some bosses throwing their radio around as they hear me say this, going, Jesus, what is this person suggesting? What is this woman advocating? You know, a free-for-all. No. How do we as a team work well? And if the real, real, real reason is we're not working well because nobody's in the office at the same time, well, that's a good argument to say we need to be in the office at the same time. But that's just not true for everybody anymore. I'm conscious there will be people listening, though, that work in warehouses, schools. They have to still do the same old commutes, the same old routines. Do you worry about that division that could just widen and be just become a little bit more divisive, that some amongst us are going to have better quality of life and there are others who won't benefit from that at all? I mean, yes, I worry about it because I worry about inequality. Those people who have greater choice are luckier than those that don't. I would also say, though, that in um, the so-called blue collar, there's actually been a lot of innovation over the last decade or so around scheduling and an acknowledgement that people do want choice. One of the reasons why there were advantages 
of the so-called gig economy would say Uber drivers, because in fact, lots of people really have responded to being able to set their own terms. So it's a complicated picture. What's really difficult is that you may have haves and have-nots in the same place of work. So in other words, a consultant to a school can dip in and out, but the teacher's got to be fully present. And so we need to rethink what work is and how work is compensated whether we like it or not, change is here. And the Nowhere Office is about saying, let's show some literacy and some agency about what comes next. Julia Hopsbaum, award-winning author and of the recently published book, The Nowhere Office, Reinventing Work and the Workplace of the Future. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure.